Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgi, and joining me today is Editor-in-Chief Al Sanasiri. Hello. John Schwartz. Hello. And Nathan Makaborski. Hi there. Full house today. We got everybody in, in tow today. How's it going, guys? Great. Great. Ready Great. for some September baseball. Yeah, I guess so. It's the first. I feel like it's the first time we've all like been together. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. In a long time. Since May and or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I, although that seems like it was five minutes ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and then the various vacations, people are coming and going and leaving. Yeah, it's true. You know, it was interesting putting this issue together. Like you said, you know, we were kind of spacing out our vacations so that, you know, sometimes one person would be out or something. So it gave me an opportunity to take a step back from the issue, which is not normally the case. You know, it's usually we sit down, we plan out an issue, and we spend the next four weeks hammering it out. But, you know, I was away for a week in August, and I came back, and obviously a lot had been done in the time I was away. So I kind of came back to this September issue with a sort of fresh set of eyes. And I was like, wow, I really love this magazine. This is great. I was really excited about it. So I think uh, hopefully our readers feel the same way. That's a good one. And you had a big part in it, Nate, because our cover story is about Mr. Giancarlo Stan, and you happened to write that story. I did. I mean, I feel like I kind of saw this one all the way through. I just got back from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, lovely town seeing our magazine roll off the press with uh, Giancarlo on the cover there. So, yeah, I mean, we, from, you know, pitching this idea of doing a, a story on Giancarlo, which uh, took a while to come to fruition. You know, I'd been wanting to do something with him all year. And then in the end, ended up just kind of sitting down with him for a nice long talk, you know, really kind of about his season and about his, his transition to the American League and to a new team and everything else, um, I, I found them to be really, really interesting. So pretty happy with the way the story turned out and, and especially with the way the cover came out. I mean, the image of him, I think people are going to get a kick out of because, I mean, the first time I saw this photo, I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I looked at it, I was like, who's that guy? <laughs> it's not how you're used to seeing him. He's just kind of like chilling in the outfield. He is. He looks like, he looks like, I don't know, like a Giant. A giant. I mean, mm -hmm. he looks supersized. Like, he's it's a like, really cool perspective that our photographer used. You know, he's standing along the wall on the warning track in, in foul territory and right field. And just, I guess you don't usually see players standing against that. So maybe that wall looks a little higher than it is. But if your perception of a guy jumping over the wall to catch a ball is what you think of 
as the size of that wall, then when you see kind of the way Stanton's just leaning against this thing, towering over it, it just it gives such a cool perspective for obviously how big he is in reality, but also we just it was a cool photo trick to make him look even bigger. I agree. I, I think um, we did two photos that day, uh, as you guys all know. Um, one being the one that we used for the cover. We did another photo, a portrait of him uh, in kind of facing the other way, facing left field. And, you know, both of them would have been great options for the cover. We ended up using one um, as the opening spread with for Nathan's feature. Um, we've had some great covers this year. I think the two photos of Giancarlo, the opening spread and the cover, are two of the best photos we've had in the magazine, and they're both here in, the, in this magazine this month. Yeah. One thing that I really lo- I love, I mean, this is going to sound like a weird comment, I love when I'm just wrong. Um, um, just because I, I like, you know, like seeing something in a different light than I expected to after the fact. And I'll tell you when I, when I saw that cover originally that we chose, I could not believe that we chose that photo. Um, I thought for sure the other photo was just so much better as a cover. The cover obviously starts as a raw image and you kind of like in your head, you're placing where, you know, the Yankees magazine banner is going to go and what the cover lines are going to be. And there was something about the one we chose that at first I just like, man, like I really just like, I wish we were going in the other direction. And then when it got to the end stage and I saw it built with, you know, the right crop and the right banner and the right cover line I, I'm, I'm in love with this cover now i think it's really sharp yeah even down to like the, the right field foul pole <laughs> runs along the left side of the image which is the spine of the magazine so the, the spine is yellow <laughs> but um i don't know there's just a lot going on like subtle things that kind of make this a very unique cover i think it's perfectly framed mm-hmm. i think the other one um i know i thought was really good for the opening spread because it's a little bit busier with some of the signage in center field and left field and in the background there, whereas this this just had such a great clean look to it. And I feel the, the same way. I think I saw uh, when it was, for the first time it was sent to me, I looked at it on my phone, which you don't really get an accurate <laughs> portrayal of what it is. But even there, it was impressive. Nate, you spoke about the long conversation you had with him and, you know, all the topics. I think you're almost doing it a disservice because what I love about the story so much is how focused it is. Mm. And the focus is really on just what does it feel like to crush a baseball? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that sounds basic and it sounds obvious, but it's not. And it's really hard for players a lot of times to describe what it feels like to crush a baseball. But whether it's some combination of your questions or just his answers, you read the story and you learn what it feels like to crush a baseball. Yeah. I mean, it was really just fun to sit there and pick the brain of this prolific home run hitter. And You know, I mean, we've all sort of watched Giancarlo over the years, but this is really, for me anyway, the first time I've had the opportunity to watch him on an everyday basis. And so you see some of the the nuances of what just makes this guy such a unique and such a special hitter. So we got into some of the finer aspects of of hitting. And for him, you know, I, I wanted to... One of the things that struck me right off the bat was just his stance in the batter's box and how he's huge, but it's just such a compact swing um you know you don't see a lot of extraneous movements out of him he's not a guy who's got some you know wild leg kick or you know some sort of oddball timing mechanisms or anything it's just very you know it seems he seems very quiet in the batter's box and that's exactly how he described it I think I said to him something along the lines of you know what are sort of some of the key elements that all need to come together for you to hit a home run and he described it as being you know quiet and soft so it's exactly that it's just being very still and and concentrated and uh you know 
300 home runs later, it seems to be working out pretty well for him. But it's so funny to me because, you know, when we're talking about the cover, we talk about perspective. And obviously, look, Giancarlo Stanton is a gigantic person, so any bat he holds is going to look smaller than, say, you know, Brett Gardner's bat. But there's something about his swing where it doesn't even look like he's, like, outstretching his arms. Like, yeah. That bat just seems so small. And obviously, it's moving extremely fast, and he's hitting the ball incredibly hard. Yeah. But I'm always, again, like you said, you know, I've seen many, many Giancarlo Stanton at bats over the years, but not anything like this year. And you just watch those home runs, and you watch, and it's just like, how could that swing, you know, be a home run? And I yeah. feel like you just need to sit there with like a high speed camera to really slow it down, and you can see actually like all the movement. But as it is, I mean, it just—I I don't think the eye can catch up with just the power of his swing because it looks so compact, like you said, and it looks so fast. Just kind of relied on my own observations, and you know, I think relying on. Giancarlo's own words to describe what it feels like was uh, a lot more illuminating than any any measurement would have been anyway. You know, I think a- another thing that's really interesting about the season he's put together, and I, he made a, a, a comment to me when I did the story with him and Aaron Judge in spring training that how much he wanted to be a complete player, how much they both wanted to be complete players and contribute in different ways. Um, and I think what's what's really been fun to follow is the way he has actually done that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, he's, he's had some games where he's had a lot of strikeouts and, you know, hasn't played the field, uh, you know, nearly as much as he did obviously with the Marlins. Um, but, you know, at the time that, you know, you did this interview and, and pretty much right now, I mean, he's batting 280. I don't know exactly if it's 278 or 280. The other day it was 285. Um, that's a pretty complete season when you count how many home runs he's got, how many um, runs he's batted in in this lineup to be in a position where he could finish the year over 280, maybe 290, 285, somewhere in that range. That's a lot of base hits mm-hmm. to go along with those home runs. That's a lot of doubles. I was going to say, at some point in this late in the season, I'm not sure if it's still true, but he was leading the team in hits, just yeah. like straight hits. Amazing. And like that's something he doesn't get a lot of credit for is how much he's actually on base. And I think that compact swing has to be a big factor along those lines because without a compact swing like that, and again, I know he strikes out a lot and that's going to happen and that's part of the game and especially part of the game today that nobody seems, you know, no one's alarmed with or or anything like that because those hits are coming. But guy who's leading the the team in hits and, and may finish if, if not one, two, or right in that in that neighborhood, um, I don't think a guy with his size and his power who hits as many home runs as he does could accomplish that without having such a compact swing to drive the ball to different sides of the field. Um, and I think that's tremendous. Yeah. And, I mean, look, I mean, he obviously is benefiting from DHing a lot, but this team is – crippled right now by injuries and yet you have stanton who has been hurt having a hamstring injury himself but i think as we record this i think he's played in something like 68 straight games um been in the lineup for all that time you know that was not the intention coming into the season i think the plan was that everyone was going to get some time off but when he was at his hottest this year it was at the exact time when just there was no one else in the lineup backing him um and that's when he was you know crushing everything and it's impossible for me to understand how someone can come to town with the fanfare that Stanton did and yet be like under the radar and unappreciated. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like he was for a lot of the first half of the season. You know, I mean, I think it's the lead of your story. Remind me if I'm wrong about this, but the talk about that, you know, the walk off home run that day and like the, 
you know, earning the pinstripes moment. And I was kind of laughing when it happened. I was here that night and it's just like earning your pinstripes moment. Like this guy hit two home runs in his first game as a Yankee. Right. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's just like that. It's kind of just been that way. And like this sense that like, just when you're Giancarlo Stanton, you know, you're expected to hit a three run home run every time you come up, even if there's no one on base and you look at his numbers this year, they're going to be very similar to his numbers last year when he won the MVP. It's yeah. just... It's really impressive. I mean, to think of... He spent his entire career in one organization in the National League. And just, I mean, you're dealing with so much coming over here. A, you've got the expectations. You know, you've got this huge contract. You're an MVP. You hit 59 home runs last year. So like you said, everybody's just expecting you to do great things night after night. You're dealing with a new home ballpark. You're dealing with, you know, a new city and kind of navigating just, you know, what's your baseball players are such creatures of habit. You know, you get into a routine. You're with one team, you know, in the majors for eight years. You've got an entirely new lifestyle to navigate here. New teammates, new coaches, new manager. New well, temperature. New, new, new temperature, <laughs> new weather, new climate. Yeah. New coaches probably wasn't that difficult for him yeah. to adjust. He had like a new coach every single year. <laughs> he was used to that. Um, so... And on top of all that, I mean, he played one position pretty much 99% of the time uh, that he was in, in, in with the Marlins. So coming here, now he's dealing with being a DH half the time. And the other half the time, he's splitting his outfield duties between right and left. In left field, he had never played before. So I almost think he doesn't get enough credit for the Absolutely. season that he's had, uh, giving, given all that he's had to adjust to. And um, he said, you know, that was that was the challenge, just finding out a new routine, figuring out what he needed to do to put himself in the best position to succeed. And, you know, he did it all on the fly. He withstood some, you know, some struggles early on. And I, I thought he handled them pretty impressively, you know, in, in talking to, you know, just casual conversations with Yankee fans. And, and I think everybody's been pretty pleased with not only his on-field performance, but you know the way this guy handles himself, just in the dugout or in interviews. He's just—he seems very like comfortable with who he is. Like he knows he's not trying to be anybody other than himself. Just when he does face adversity and bumps in the road along the way, he handles them pretty well. I think that's such a poignant line that you just said because so many of the players, superstar players, who've come here and struggled and struggled mightily early on, early on. Does that mean for a month, for two months? Does it mean for a whole season? Does it mean for a couple seasons? Um, maybe indefinitely. I think a big reason for that is they're trying to do too much. And I think the root of that is they're, 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 they don't know who they are. Uh, they're trying to be more than they even were in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, I don't think... John Carlos Stanton could be more than he was last year with 59 home runs, I guess, unless he hit 60. <laughs> but, you know, realistically, a guy comes here, you know, uh, Jason Giambi and Alex Rodriguez, um, Sonny Gray, whoever, whoever it may be, players who've struggled um, for short periods of time or long periods. Tino Martinez struggled in his first, Didi Gregorius. And I think a big part of that is the expectation on them isn't to be what they were last year or for the previous couple of years. It's to be greater than that. Mm -hmm. Even with Alex Rodriguez, who had two MVPs, I believe two MVPs when he got here, it was he's going to hit 60 home runs when he gets here because now he's getting into the prime of his career. Um, same thing with Jason Giambi, you know, whoever it may be. 
Um, and I think that's, that is the great thing that you just said. Um, excuse me, the, the most poignant thing you said to me was he wasn't trying to be something else. He was trying to be himself. One of the, the comments that, that he made to me when, when I did the interview with him that, that really gave me confidence that he was going to do well here and not put too much pressure is he recognized the fact that, look, I hit 59 home runs last year, but that's not what I'm coming here to do. I'm coming here to help this team win games. And that sounds disingenuous. It sounds like a cliche. The way he explained it to me, I believed it. Uh, And I can certainly be accused of being naive. I don't think I was in that situation. He was he was really here to to contribute. And I think he also understood I'm probably not going to hit 59 home runs again because that's only happened so many times in history. Um, And and I think he was okay with that. But I mean, that's what he's done. He's helped us win a lot of games this year. And I think that, you know, if you look at just, you know, if you go month by month here, you know, April was Didi. Didi was, you know, just out out of control. May was, you know, Glaber um, and all these things. And just, you know, one thing with, we can talk about, you know, whether he's underappreciated or if he's below the radar or anything like that. I think the fact is there was no point this season until the summer when, you know, the team was basically saying like, we need to be on your back. We like, we, and, and once that happened, I mean, he exploded and look, he's, as we do this now, he's slumping over the last like five games or whatever, like, you know, He's going to come up four times tonight. I'm kind of going to expect two home runs. I mean, it's just like the way it, it's just the way it is. And that's the batter he is. But it, you know, the way that this team was able to perform over the first four months of the season to get them to the point where, yeah, you know, they're behind the Red Sox, and who knows if they can catch them. But like, they're very clearly, in my opinion, the second best team in baseball right now. If not, you know, eventually the best. Who knows what's going to happen? And a lot of that is like you said just a guy who didn't show up you know having to hit those 60 home runs he showed up on a team that had Didi Gregorius out of his mind that had Gary Sanchez that had Aaron Judge that had Greg Bird that had you know eventually Miguel Andujar Gleyber Torres all these things you can fit in pretty nicely on a team like that if you're doing what you're supposed to do yeah so Nate how does he like hitting home runs? <laughs> he likes it just fine. <laughs> the, he was really great. I had spoken to him a little bit like back in spring training, and I, I think I did like a quick hits interview with him over the course of the season, but nothing ever remotely as expansive as this or in-depth. And um, he was just really cool. Like He was just really thoughtful and insightful, and you know, I didn't know what to expect um, really going into this interview but I thought his answers were just great you know I really was found them to be um, just interesting he was like a cool guy to talk to and yeah I mean I think whoever reads this story or or listens to this podcast uh, hopefully comes away kind of with the same sort of feeling that's right Nate because the story is on newsstands now also online at yankees.com slash magazine and coming right up you're going to hear some of nate's interview with john carlo so stick around for that and then we're going to talk about miguel andujar so we'll be right back for the cover story of the september issue of yankees magazine nathan sat down with john carlo stanton to talk about the adjustment to new york what it means to be clutch and how it feels to hit a home run here's some of their conversation like the uh, the transition period is over, or is it is that something that's going to take you know maybe a full season or something before you feel like it's done? I mean, there, there's still going to be new things I haven't experienced throughout through the rest of the year, uh, but I feel like it's a better control of of an adjustment to um, the 
transition. What was the biggest challenge, would you say, going through the process? I mean, you spent 11 seasons in one organization. Coming, I, I say just changing, the, changing um, routine, changing everything. My whole, my whole daily routine, being here, uh, a new park, a new home park, everything is new. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's just the biggest transition. Yeah. Now, those are the challenges. Are there any positives to? You know, like I said, it was 11 years in one organization. So starting a new, you know, kind of a, a fresh start in a new place, having to kind of step out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Is there any positives? The positives speaking? are being able to overcome that, mm. being able to uh, um, challenge myself with the challenge ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how are you going to deal with? How are you going to deal with? Uh, you know, not playing well. How are you going to deal with playing well? How are you going to deal with? New expectations, it's all a new challenge. So you got to simplify things and, and make sure you're best prepared to do it. So I guess you like challenges then? Yeah, you got to change <laughs> 10 years, you know, you got to change something up in your life. Yeah. See, see what you can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that fans here have admired about you is just kind of the way you go about your business. You know, you're very professional. But, you know, you still, like, you're not uptight at see You know, we still see you smiling a lot and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, where do you think those traits come from? Uh, did it take a while to learn to, to be, you know, comfortable in your own skin as a, as a professional ball player? Or, you know, is it something you're kind of just born with? No, it takes a while. I mean, you, you got to, over the years, you, you got to prove that you can, you're worthy to stay here. You got in the big leagues, I mean, and mm-hmm. then you got to, understand what type of player you are, understand how you can fit the best way into a big league team. So it, there's years of figuring out yourself as a ball player. Mm-hmm. And then you just got to trust your work, trust all the years you put into this and start enjoying and trying to have fun, even with all the the outside noise, whether it's positive or negative. You know, you, for me, I mean, I, I feel I've worked my whole life to, to be here. And so has it, all the guys around me, and we should enjoy the process, yeah. struggles and um, and, and positive. Yeah, you know? for sure. I went back recently. I read an article that the LA Times wrote about you when you were a senior in high school, I guess, 2007. And they were talking about you know your your accomplishments as a multi-sport athlete. And they had a picture of you as a baseball player, as a football player, as a basketball player. And I, I got the impression that it was important to you then uh, to play multiple sports what was kind of your mindset when because I'm sure there were people probably pushing you in one direction or the other but yeah there's a lot of you know everyone in football wanted me to play football right. here and there I like sport but um, that's how I grew up playing that's how I grew up uh, loving sports so I didn't have this in my head then but it but now I'm really glad that I had the mindset of playing it all because I can never play a competitive football or basketball, uh, you know, rather than shoot, shooting around with my friends, you never be able to play a competitive game of, of games of two sports that I like, uh, loved, you know, so I got to play until I was as old as possible, Yeah. you know, roughly, and have memories that I'll enjoy for the rest of my life of doing that, so... Uh, and get the athletic dynamic of playing all three, having uh, having to almost speed up speed up the the learning curve of of playing them each year, 
because I'm always late to them. Right. If one sport went to playoffs, or even if they didn't, you already had people practicing for months and weeks before me that I just had to jump in, mm. sometimes jump straight into games. Like mm. baseball sometimes was just straight into, hey, cool, tear your basketball stuff off, we got a game tomorrow, you know? <laughs> so that, I think that that newness and challenge was fun for me too. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just figure out a way, figure out a, figure out a way to be successful um, with less time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's experience that still Helps a little. Yeah, I mean, help, help. you gotta make uh, quick adjustments in this <laughs> game. So no doubt. You know, there was also there was an, uh, an anecdote in that story about how you, like you weren't a great free throw shooter. Terrible. But Terrible. there was a, like a, a playoff well, game, yeah, yeah. And, and down the end you hit two yeah. shots at, at the end, and at one point like upset victory. So yeah. You know the game I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I know what you're talking about. What uh, you know? How would you kind of describe your your mentality in, in clutch situations, and, and has it? always been there for you I like to say put my put myself in the best chance rather than get it done because you're not going to get it done always mm -hmm. but if you if you prepare the best you can and put yourself in the best opportunity to then I can I can be okay with the results gotcha. rather than looking back and saying I, I wasn't successful what didn't I do to be there which um, to your question earlier about having to be comfortable as a as a pro is is that you know this is such a failure sport mm -hmm. so a lot of the times I, you find yourself dang should I have done this should I have done that and this and that so it, it, it's hard to find that balance finally be like it's okay like you 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 studied what you needed to you prepared the way you need to and today's not the day tomorrow will be you know if your team picked you up today boom which I think that's the hard one of the hardest parts of, uh, of you know, being comfortable yeah. as a pro. Uh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think it's you know, it's easier to live with failure when you know you did everything yeah. to succeed in that spot. Yeah. Sometimes it ain't gonna work. And it's still not easy to live with failure. You know? <laughs> so you know, like I said, we've we've gotten to watch you every day here, and you know, I'm kind of like taken by your you know your approach in the batter's box. You seem to have just a very like quiet approach up there you know there's not a lot of extra movement or, or waggling the bat or high leg hick or anything like that is that something that has always been the case for you did you has your stance morphed a great deal over time or it has yeah. um it, it it's developed over the years of just trying to be as as soft and quick as possible giving me the the most uh, time to see what pitch it is and, and you know strike with with a powerful but comfortable swing. Was there a, a coach in particular or anybody who, who helped you find that right balance or is it just kind of constant? Uh, I mean I've had great coaches over the years um, but the thing I mean I had a new coach every year, mm. uh, a new hitting coach every year so it was tough to get like a this is what happened last year let's do this and this so I had to make sure I knew my you know, you have to be your own coach, yeah, obviously, yeah. but yep. with with good guidance and support along the way from knowledgeable teammates and coaches. Sure. Um, but just years and years of watching film and seeing my best striking position and, and trying to get there as, as quick and um, less movement as possible. 
this may be sort of a strange question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What does it feel like to hit a home run? <laughs> because we watch you do it so often, and it's you know it's it's almost commonplace for you. But I know it ain't easy because you know billions of people can't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what does it feel like? And and what are like some of you know for you like the sort of key elements that all need to come together in that split second to have that just perfect outcome? I need to I need to be quiet and soft like that makes sense so like for everything to work right I have to be I have to just simplify everything mm-hmm. and just um, not try not try to hit it out mm-hmm. but be put, put my body in, in the best position which is be on time and and get the barrel to it and it's not the hard, it's not the harder you swing, the, the more you can hit homers. It's the more precise and balanced you swing uh, that they're gonna come. Uh, and what it feels like, it's just like like everything's in sync. You know, sometimes if you swing and don't make contact, or you swing and you hit a ground ball, you know, you might you might lean over to the side and not be completely balanced, but usually when you hit a home run, everything is completely in sync, and uh, you don't feel much on the bat. Uh, you just see the, the trajectory of the ball. Um, I think you get the you get the second best view. Catcher gets the best view. It's gonna feel great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that description. That's very good. <laughs> you like the description? I do. That's that was very interesting. <laughs> So, uh, you know, when the Yanks brought you here last December, there was, you know, everybody kind of thought they were bringing you in to be the primary DH, you know. Everybody talked about how DH was kind of a weak spot on this team last year, but uh, here we are, you know, mid-August, and you played more games in the outfield than at DH. So how do you feel the transition is going? I mean, do you feel like a DH? Do you still feel like an outfielder? Is it very different than Uh, what you're used to? It's very different. That's another new challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, But... uh, the, that that one's the most fun of, of trying to because wherever I'm at, it's it's to help the team. It's not to it's not a as much you're better here or there because it, it's to give uh, other outfielders a blow. It's to give it's to get my bat in the lineup for DH. So it's been fun trying to master left field and still stay sharp and right. Yeah, and still keep a. And learn a new uh, routine at DH. Mm. So I'd say at first I tried to tackle them all at the same time. Yeah. Like if I was playing left, I'd be like, all right, I gotta be ready. If I was DH or right field today, try to boom, boom. But trying to ta- just tackle one that day and worry about what I'm gonna do the next day that day was is really the key. It seems obvious, but mm. the, uh, you know. I had a lot to do, catch up and left, and sometimes if I was playing right, I'd be like, all right, well, I still need to get better and left. Um, let's try to try to get it all better, but that's been my best routine is, is you know, knowing what I'm going to play tomorrow, handle what I'm playing that day, and then be prepared for my routine uh, tomorrow also. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been impressive to see you in the left field, a position you never played before this yeah. year. Um, how much pride do you take in your defense, and, and how much work do you put in to, to it's, it's huge. I mean, it, uh, 
no one no one cares if you if you're out there once or twice a week. It just matters if you're gonna catch the ball, you're gonna get it done or not. It's not you made an error but oh he's there out once a week. No one cares about that. So just gotta get it done. Yeah. Exactly. Topic of, of work. I mean your teammates here and I've talked to ex teammates of yours, they all laud your work ethic. Uh, where do you think that comes from? Is that something that's always been kind of part of your MO ever since you were younger? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've just always wanted to get the most out of myself. Mm. So, um, you can always get better, especially in the game of failure. So, just have my body prepared to play, uh, have my mind prepared to play. Uh, it's very difficult things to do, so I try. I just, you know, try to master it. Yeah. Are you a guy who enjoys all that stuff, the behind-the-scenes stuff that the people don't see during those three hours during the game when you're in the weight room and the video room and all that stuff? Like, do you you enjoy that part of it, or is it something that you just feel needs to be done in order to perform? Um, you know, you have your days where it's not as fun mm -hmm. um, or it's frustrating, but that, that's another another challenge to beat, man. I mean, every day, if it was simple, anyone can do it. So... Uh, you gotta be the one to have the extra patience. You gotta be ready for new obstacles and new things to hit you. Um, and that, that makes you better. For sure. When it comes to motivation, I mean, athletes at this level, you know, they all, there's something that motiv motivates them either to get here and then to stay here. You know, I think of like Tom Brady, six round draft pick, yeah. he still carries that chip on his shoulder, you know? Yeah. For you, I mean, is there uh, something that you carry with you that's you know been a motivating factor for you throughout your career? Um, I just put it as there's someone always working harder, someone always in a bigger fight, um, and that doesn't mean you always have to do more. It just means that uh, there's never a time to settle, and working harder doesn't mean in sports. It means in life. And so, and that's when I'm when I'm tired or not feeling like doing some things or whatever. I just put that perspective in, and usually kicks me in the butt real quick and go go do it. It's working, my man. Yeah, thank Thanks, you man. so much for your time. You really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine podcast. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, Al, your Q&A with Miguel Andujar. How did that go? It went great. Um, I spoke with him in the visiting dugout uh, of Fenway Park. I've done a couple stories this year on the road. It's Philadelphia, uh, Boston, um, and they, they were both both great. Um, Marlon Abreu, uh, who is our bilingual media relations coordinator and a great friend of, of mine, and I speak for you guys, everybody in our department, is always so helpful and uh, couldn't have been more helpful with this interview as well. The biggest takeaway I had uh, from Miguel is how confident he is. Um, and one thing that's kind of neat is when you talk to him about his journey from um, a, a teenager uh, who signed with the Yankees organization through the present um, and all the hard work he's put in. I should say how hard he's worked to get here. I think that confidence is really a product of 
knowing he put in the work and still he's putting in the work and man have the results been impressive especially as of late i remember before the season started john nathan and i made predictions about certain things let's not bring those up (laughs) (laughs) they've not come to fruition but one of the john you asked who was going to see the most time at third base this season Mm. and i think all three of us said brandon drury because Miguel Andujar was, wasn't ready yet, and boy, were we wrong. Well, I, I meant who's going to see the most time at third base for the Toronto Blue Jays. Was that not fair? <laughs> we're still wrong. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story, uh, a little bit more personal. Um, my 10-year-old son and I were doing a similar game where we were, we were uh, predicting, and this was after Miguel Andujar was ready in the lineup, but we were making predictions on how many home runs each player in the Yankees lineup was going to hit uh, and what their batting average was going to be. And my son, uh, his favorite player is Miguel Andujar. But again, at 10 years old, you know, he sees this this young, great player and put down a number like 30. And I laughed at him and said, that's crazy and that's <laughs> insane and whatever. And I don't know that he's, he's probably not going to get to 30. But you know what? Pretty His close. number is going to be closer than the one I put yeah. there. So uh, it's pretty incredible what he's done, and um, fun to watch every single at bat. Every single at bat, it's he's. It's almost like he is a guy who's hitting, who's on pace to hit sixty home runs. You don't walk away when when he comes up to the plate. Stings the ball too. I mean, just smacks him. Like, yeah, when there <laughs> when he hits them out, you know that he hit it out. Like I was here last night. And we were playing the White Sox, and he, we were down four to nothing at this point, and he comes up to the plate with a runner on first base. And you almost just knew that he was going to do something, mm-hmm. and oh, one pitch, he knocks it like halfway up the bleachers. And you're like, yeah, that seems right. If there's one thing you knew that he would not do, though, it was ever stop at first base, because I think he is just constitutionally unable yeah. to stop at first base. The other thing, too, I think when you say you just knew, you know why I think you just knew, or at least you knew with him more than anybody else? If you look through this lineup this year, and we just talked about Giancarlo Stanton, who's been so great, but like so many hitters, and especially so many home run hitters, you know, there's a little bit of a roller coaster uh, to his season and probably to all of his seasons. Andujar has been so consistent. Mm -hmm. I mean, from day one, or day one of his tenure, (laughs) Till the present, it's it's really hard to find a time where he slumped. He's incredibly consistent, and I think that's why, you know, um, you know, you have that confidence he's going to come through. If he hasn't in that game yet, he's probably going to get a hit. He did. Yeah. Al, when you sat down with Miguel, what were you hoping to get out of the interview? Like, was there anything in there that you were really looking forward to asking him that you know maybe you came away saying? Uh, you know, that revealed something new to you about him? I was really interested in talking to him about spring training, honestly, because it was um, such an interesting time to me uh, to observe in another person's life. Um, He had come from, um, you know, over the last couple seasons, you know, rookie ball where he spent, you know, parts of two seasons in to single A, to double A, to triple A, back to double A, back to triple A. To this point where he had such a great year last year, um, and, a, and a season last year in Trenton and Scranton 
that really mirrored what he's done this year with the Yankees, where he's tr- had a tremendous number of extra base hits, good number of home runs, just consistent batting average, and he gets into spring training and really finds himself in a battle to finally break through and realize his dream of becoming a major league player. Obviously, he had been here for a very short time last year, although it was a he had a great game last year in the, in, the, in the short time he was here. But that was really what was most interesting to me. What was it like to get into spring training this year and as the spring went along to basically realize you actually have a chance to do this and, you know, you might win this job. Uh, and obviously he didn't win it out of spring training, but then came right back and um, after uh, Drury got, you know, had some issues and came back in and then never gave it up. And the way he talked about it, you know, it started off a little bit cliche where he, where he talked about how, um, you know, I was just trying to do my job and just trying to get better and all that stuff. But there was the realization as the spring went on that I really, he really did have a chance to win that job. And that motivated him to work even harder. And I, I thought that was interesting, you know, kind of when you see that daylight, <laughs> you run even harder. And I think that's what he did. And, um, and it's, you know, it's kind of neat to talk about that time because for his whole career, there'll never be another time like that. He'll remember that for the rest of his life. Yeah, I think there's a line in your story, something along the lines of he said that he didn't really think he had anything else left to prove mm-hmm. at, at the minor league level. And I think he came in, and that goes back to the confidence you're talking about. He came into spring training knowing that he had a shot and knowing that he had done all he could possibly do in AAA. And there was only one place left he wanted to be and needed to be. And Absolutely. now he's here. It's Absolutely. Fun. It reminds me, I mean, I assume you guys remember in spring training, at the beginning of spring training this year, that first week when, again, I mean, I think we all acknowledge that we didn't have the highest expectations for him this year, but he just went crazy in that first, like, two weeks, crushing every ball, hitting all these home runs. And one day, I was sitting in Tampa, um, and I get a text from a former Yankees player saying, you know, he's going to hit himself onto the team just like Soriano did in 2001 in spring training and you know i mean i'm I'm looking it up right now as i look at this and you know soriano's 2001 season even before that world series home run was pretty awesome andujar's completely surpassed what soriano did in Mm -hmm. 2001 i laughed when i got that text i didn't think there was a chance that he was gonna be alfonso soriano or even play himself onto the team like soriano did but my god like (laughs) that's pretty prescient it's been (laughs) pretty remarkable proven himself over and over again i think he he swept the uh, the awards too in in spring this year right he got the outstanding rookie in spring training as well as the uh the minor league player of the year um might be getting some more hardware at the end of this year. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's certainly in the conversation. There's no doubt about that. Could you have even fathomed? I mean, this is, I don't mean this is a knock on Andy Harbour, but could you have fathomed in May or before the year saying, you know, the Yankees are going to produce a second straight rookie of the year and it wouldn't be Glaber Torres? I was going to say, if and, so, it would have been Glaber Torres. I mean, let's not for a second diminish anything that Glaber Torres has done this no, year, even if, year. you know, there have been some struggles down the stretch. But like the thought that like the Yankees were going to have a rookie of the year not named Glaber Torres this year is just insane. I mean, the thought that the Yankees could potentially have back-to-back Rookie of the Year winners is just incredible. You know, it's... And they still have a great farm system, by the way. (laughs) I mean, they're struggling right now in the outfield, I guess. But, like, the Yankees still have an incredible farm system, even as they graduate all these players. You know, I give them the Brian Cashman and um, Aaron Boone and and everybody a lot of credit also. Because when Andujar came up uh, and started his first... I think 30 at bats or something like that <laughs> didn't go too well. 
uh, didn't go very well, excuse me. Uh, he struggled mightily before he really turned it around. And I know I, I put in there, he went 15 for, for his next 29 after that. But I give Brian and, and Aaron and everybody a lot of credit because they did stick with him. There were a lot of other options, uh, obviously not named uh, Brandon Drury, um, that could have came up in that week. And they stuck with him, and thank God they did. Because, and thank God they saw what they saw. Because besides the fifteen for twenty nine, even after that, it's been it's been remarkably consistent. And you know, the other thing I talked to to Anduhar about was these numbers um, that he's put up month after month after month aren't just impressive for a rookie. If a veteran player in his prime was putting up numbers like this, you'd look at it and say, "Wow, this was a tremendous season." Um, you know, and, and he, he realizes that. and He has been the most consistent hitter in the Yankees lineup no for the last three months, I would say. Yeah. I mean, to be hitting 300 in this day and age. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this, this isn't rookie. This, isn't, this no. is the most consistent hitter in most powerful, certainly the most powerful, but definitely one of the best lineups in baseball this season. The most consistent hitter is Miguel Andujar. No. Or, I guess, maybe Aaron Hex. <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> I, I think it's cool that we've been able to run these, like, lengthy – Q&As with both Andujar and Glaber this year, and they were both very different. You know, uh, when I interviewed Glaber back in, I guess it was April or May, um, the idea was to kind of spend a lot of time talking about his kind of personal background and where he's from and that sort of thing, whereas the Andujar Q&A here that's running in September uh, is certainly focused a lot more on his baseball and getting to where he is now in the Yankees lineup. But we both concluded with kind of the same question, almost to the to the word um, mm-hmm. about, you know, goals. Um, so, and the, and Duhar and Torres both gave essentially the same exact answer, which I loved both times. Well, I actually just cut and pasted your answer. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's why I just... I are, we not, are we not supposed work. to do that? Yeah. I, I thought I got to my word, my work limit. I, I, you know. But, you know, one of the things that I, I think makes me excited about these young players is just their, their kind of championship mindset. Um, what did you think of... Miguel's answer to that question. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. You know, his goal, his goals are team goals. He wants to win a championship. Um, again, I, I felt like it wasn't just cliche. I believed in, in what he was saying. Um, and I think people in this organization see what it means to win a championship in New York. I think they're immersed in the value of that from the first day they walk into the minor league facility on Himes Avenue in, you know, in Tampa, Florida, and they see um, pictures of World Series parades and, and pictures of um, championship celebrations and World Series trophies and banners, and they see those faces that are associated with those championships. And I think it, it starts to mean a lot more than it would with another organization where that's not part of the pedigree. That's not part of what they're immersed in. Um, and I think it, it really kind of gets into your blood. And I, I think he realized that, or, and um, so did Glaber Torres. Um, it becomes something very, very, very desirable. And um, he definitely wants that to happen. And he also understands, you know, hey, how special was it for Derek Jeter to win Rookie of the Year and win a World Series? 
his first season and first full season in the big leagues, his rookie season. I think he realizes how special it would be to win it this year. Right. Um, and that's the thing. They're, they do. They're not thinking like as young as these guys are, they're not thinking like, Oh, I'm going to have this long career and eventually become a world champ. They're like, no, my goal is to win a world series this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's Absolutely. go see if we can do it. Let's exactly. And you know, anything cr- much crazier things have happened than the Yankees getting into the postseason and in a five game series coming out on top. Oh wait, they did that last year against a team that was favored to, you know, to, to win crazier things have happened. Um, and I, I think they are all really believe that they can do it this year. It's going to be a fun stretch run with guys like Stanton and, and Duhar and Glaber and hopefully judge Sanchez, all of them leading the way down these, these last few weeks. So great job on the story, Thank Al. You. Great job, Nathan with Stanton. That was cool. And, uh, Pick up the stories when you're here at Yankee Stadium and check them out online, yankees.com slash magazine. Rate and review and subscribe to the podcast, podcast at yankees.com if you want to email us, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.